This week on Myths and Legends, it's a few stories of Maui from Maori folklore. You'll see that if there just aren't enough hours in the day, there's a solution. But it takes borrowing your grandma's jawbone and a stomach for torture. The good news about the creature this week, you'll learn some new recipes and expand your cooking skills. The bad news? Well, you'll need to throw out pretty much your entire kitchen afterwards. This is Myths and Legends, episode 89, The Mauiest Maui. This is the first time we've touched on the myths and legends of the Pacific Islanders. Since Moana came out, the myths of Maui have been the second most requested stories from this podcast, right behind La Llorona. Before diving in today, on so many stories for this podcast, there isn't one version, but a bunch of different versions that contradict or complement each other to various degrees. That is the case with Maui times 1,000. Similar stories exist in different cultures from around the Pacific, with Maui lassoing the sun, pulling up islands, etc. But what happens in those stories is very different. For this group of episodes, I'm going with the Maori version. Not that it's any more or less central or authoritative, but it appears to be the most widely documented, with the most complete stories. The Maori, of course, are the people of Polynesian descent from New Zealand. In addition to the Maori versions, there are Maui stories from Hawaii, Tahiti, Tonga, a very similar figure in Samoa, and more. The stories of Maui are as varied as the cultures that talk about him. And we'll start with the birth of a demigod. Taranga looked down at the beach and sighed. It was so small, so full of potential, a life that would never be. The unformed being rested on the sand, glowing. That morning, it had dropped from its mother, Taranga, as she walked along the beach. It was too young to survive outside the mother. There would be no going back. A tear dropped on the beach beside it. It would die either way, whether Tranga tried to save it or she let the waves take it. At least one way, it would be quick. She sat there for what felt like a lifetime, saying goodbye to her child that she would never know before standing up to continue on. But she stopped. If, by some chance, this thing didn't die, then it might be dangerous. Spirits and beings that don't have human contact can turn to monsters, to demons. The last thing she wanted was to curse her child to that life. She took a bit of her hair and made a small knot around the bean. She brought it to her face, gave her child his first and last kiss, and sent him adrift on the ocean. The ocean cradled the child. It wrapped him in seaweed and protected him from the storms. It found food and nurtured him. It called on the fairies of the ocean to find him and teach him. The tiny being grew to a baby, a shapeshifter, a hero to humans, a demigod of the land and sea. That baby was Maui. You guys gonna eat that baby? The birds said to the flies as they landed on the beach, near the baby wrapped in jellyfish. Get out of here, the flies yelled back. Why? You guys are flies. There's enough baby to go around, the birds replied. It's not that. If you guys come... <sighs> yep. There he is. The old man. 
he saw the baby. Thanks for showing him right where it was, guys. Top-notch scavengering. The old man, an old god of the sea, hobbled over and swatted away the birds and flies to see the tiny, premature baby swaddled in jellyfish. In an instant, he knew who or what this baby was. The god of the sea scooped up the child and brought him back to his cottage by the ocean. Little Maui was placed in a warm spot in the house, and he grew strong. The god of the sea, as it turned out, was one of Maui's ancestors. So as the boy grew, he learned of his family. For years, his ancestor, the old sea god, taught him how to use his power. In time, Maui could become invisible and transform into any animal, though he mostly chose birds. As he lay awake at night, though, he knew about them. His family. He remembered everything. Dropping from his mother, her wrapping her hair around him and letting him drift off on the ocean. He remembered the weeks of being mothered by the jellyfish. And, finally, the old sea god finding him. He remembered everything. And he wanted to go back. One day, when he was just out of childhood, Maui thanked his ancestor, the sea god, for caring for him and took a boat. He was going home. A few evenings later, Maui could hear the music coming from the hut, the dancing, the laughter. He looked in and saw the party. He also saw four other guys that looked almost exactly like him. He shrugged and sat down next to the youngest guy, who looked just like him. He was so caught up singing and clapping and dancing and laughing that he didn't notice when they started going down the line and saying their names. Their mother, Taranga, looked at each of them and said, One Maui Taha, two Maui Roto, three Maui Pai, and four Maui Waho. And, wait, who are you? Maui, Maui replied. No, Taranga replied. I only have four nearly identical sons all named Maui. Not five nearly identical sons all named Maui. Get out of here. Oh, no, yeah, I'm your kid. Remember you had me on the beach that one day, but I wasn't quite ready yet, and so you threw me into the ocean? Well, here I am. Can we get back to dancing, though? Turns out, that was way more fun than all this heavy family drama. Taranga dropped her instrument and ran to Maui, the youngest Maui, and took his face in her hands. Looking into his eyes, she saw the truth. He was her son. The child she thought was lost had returned to her. She announced that he was Maui Putiki, or Maui the Lastborn, or Maui the Baby, and also Maui Tiki Tiki Ataranga, or Maui the Top Knot of Taranga, since he was wrapped in her top knot after being born prematurely. She pressed his nose to hers and smiled. He was home. Their family was complete. After some talk amongst themselves, the four other guys named Maui decided not to kill the newcomer. That night, Maui slept right next to his mother. He didn't want to leave her side again. But she didn't have any issue with leaving his side, because the next morning, she was gone. Maui shrugged it off and went out to get used to his new home. Noontime came around, though, and Maui still hadn't seen his mother return with food or water. He turned to Maui too and told him his mother was missing. He replied that, yeah, he knew. Maui was confused. Okay, so what was up? They didn't know. 
She had done that every single day since they were babies. As soon as the sun comes up, she goes somewhere. As soon as it goes down, she returns. And you guys never thought to see where she goes? Maui too gasped. Wow, that... That was a great idea. Maui 4 said that this guy was smart. Gathering evidence to solve a problem? This Maui was going to give Maui 1 a run for his money. Maui 2 walked off, amazed. Our Maui stood there in disbelief. Here was a mystery that no one had even bothered to question, let alone solve. He went to work getting some leaves and sap. When Taranga returned later that evening, it was done, and she continued to rejoice that Maui had returned. The next morning, she woke up well-rested. Like, really well-rested. Like, you know when waking up for work one morning, and you're like, oh wow, I feel great. Also, why is the sun up? I have six missed calls, and oh yeah, I overslept. Taranga had that feeling, except she didn't see the sun. Maui had sealed every hole in the house the day before, and as he fake snored next to her, drool and all to really sell it, she swore and went to the doorway to see the sun high in the sky. She wrapped a cloak around herself and stole off without anyone seeing her. Well, almost anyone. Maui's eyes snapped open, and he darted off after her. He knew he wouldn't be able to follow in the darkness of the morning, so he had tricked her into sleeping in. He watched her disappear around one corner, then another, until she stopped at a bush and vanished entirely. He pulled the leaves aside and looked at the long, winding road down to the underworld. He went to go get Maui's one through four, his brothers, as I'm calling them. They had a trip to make. Yeah, no, not doing it, the Maui Quartet agreed in unison. They said that they were adults, and they could take care of themselves. If their parents wanted to leave during the day to have some time to themselves, they earned it. They raised four boys. Well, only their mom did, and also not during the daytime parts. Maui was shocked at their extreme lack of curiosity. Didn't they care where their mother was? Or where their father, who they never met, lived? The other Maui shrugged. No, not really. They all had happy childhoods where they felt loved and cared for, right? They didn't have know, abandonment issues or anything. Oh, they apologized to Maui. They could see Maui growing more and more sullen until he just couldn't take it. In a flash, he transformed into a pigeon and made his way toward the hole in the ground. He was going to find his parents. It was a long trip through the dark, but soon he began to see light peeking through the tunnels up ahead. Then he rounded a curve and nearly crashed. It was daylight. He swooped through the mysterious land, over trees and grass and streams, until he saw a group of people sitting under a manipal tree. He landed on the branches and started pecking at a berry until it fell and hit a woman in the face. Triangle looked up and shrugged it off. The berry probably fell by accident. Then all the others came down. It was hitting person after person, one after another. The adults all looked at each other. Throw rocks at the bird? They all agreed. Throw rocks at the bird. In a minute, a rock caught Maui bird in the chest, and he thudded hard on the ground. He landed in a puff of feathers, and when the dust cleared, only the boy, Maui, remained. He was grinning. Ow, he said. Also, hi. Name's Maui, the top knot one. Not Maui's one through four. Taranga smiled at her mischievous son. 
She was proud of him for finding her when none of her other Mauis had even tried. She laughed and turned to the man beside her. He really is your son, she said, and the man's jaw dropped. His name was Maketutara, and, as the guardian of the underworld, he had never seen any of his sons. His wife could go to the surface world for the night, but he had to stay down here. He had heard of Maui the baby, the one they had lost. Now, he had returned, and not just returned, but found his way to their world. He praised the gods and took his son into his arms for the first time. Maui of the Topknot, who had been raised by the ocean and the winds, had never really been given a name officially. The boy followed his father to a stream, where the father dipped him down and said the Karakia, the Maori prayers and incantations, over him, purifying him and invoking the blessings of the gods. It was only after it was all done, with Maui beaming and returning to his pigeon form to go back to the surface world, that his father began to think about what he had said. He thought he got all the names of the gods. Yeah, definitely. But if he didn't, though he definitely did, but if he didn't, he would anger the gods. And the blessing he just put on his son, who was about to go out and do a bunch of really dangerous adventuring, would be the exact opposite of a blessing. He would bring down the vengeance of the gods. But no, Micaiah Tutera was sure he got all the names of the gods right. Definitely. Maybe. Maui will take a hard left with an interesting request, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. So, you're my grandma? Maui asked the elderly woman who lived on the other side of the island. Mm, yep, the old woman said. Okay, so this is maybe a big ask, Maui continued, but can I have your jawbone? The elderly woman considered it. Yeah, okay, she said. Days earlier, Maui had discovered people bringing food to the far side of the island. They said they were going to Mariranga Ueno to bring her food. Seeing as this was an excellent opportunity to secure some material for an item he had in mind, Maui told the helper that he would take the food the rest of the way, and he didn't. He dropped it off just a little ways out, close enough so that she could still smell it on the wind, but far enough away so that she couldn't find it. A few days went by before Maui, after withholding food from an elderly woman, asked a favor from her, her jawbone. The grandmother said that she only needed it for trivial things like eating and talking, so she pulled it out and handed it to Maui. He went home and got to work. As he worked, though, he noticed that he barely had any time each day, and not the kind of problem we all have, where there, figuratively, are not enough hours in the day. There literally were not enough hours in the day. Every morning, he saw the sun rise from his home, somewhere in the mountains on the east side of the island, zip across the sky, and in just a few hours, it would be evening. It was really annoying, and that guy, the sun, was just laughing it up in the sky. He was lazy, was what he was. Maui then had an idea. The Maui Five made their way across the island that night, picking their way across the paths in the moonlight until they saw it. That morning, 
the son started peeking his little head out from behind one of the mountains. The youngest Maui took hemp rope he had twisted, made a loop, and cast it toward the sun, who was rising from his hole. Rangi, the sun, was surprised at first, but looked down at the rope and smirked. Aw, really? A hemp rope? That's really cute, but no. No, that's not going to work. The sun heated up slightly, and the rope turned to ash. The sun laughed at them as he started his run across the sky, saying that if he wanted to take on the sun, then he couldn't just use a rope. He's the sun. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a two and a half hour work day to get to before it's nap time again. That guy, Maui said, before announcing their plan for tomorrow. It only took about 12 hours before they were right back in the same spot. The next day, the sun even saw them coming, but laughed at them. He held at his neck and begged them, begged them to lasso him. And Maui did. The sun's neck and shoulders hissed as a slightly wet rope wrapped around them. The sun warmed up, but the rope only steamed. Oh no, slight moisture, my one weakness, Rangi said, as the five Maui shadows loomed over him. The main character, Maui, stepped forward and informed the sun that he would be working more than two hours per day. The sun rolled his eyes. And what was Maui going to do about it? He couldn't keep the sun up here forever. And as soon as he let the sun go, the sun would just go back to being his awesome party sun self, phoning in the workday and hanging out all night. Maui said that he thought that, that was probably the case. So he would just keep the sun here and beat him with a giant fish hook that he crafted from his grandma's jawbone until the sun agreed to slow down and give the humans a little more time in the day. Wait, what about grandma's jaw? Maui 3 asked. The youngest Maui waved it off, saying that she had given it up willingly after he starved her for a few days. It was all above board. Oh, well, that actually does sound really bad, he said to himself. But the sun interrupted this realization, calling out Maui, saying that he was the sun. Maui wouldn't beat the sun, but Maui would, and did. Fifteen minutes later, with the other four Mauis looking away, the sun pleaded with Maui to stop. He would go slower through the sky if Maui just stopped beating him with his grandma's jaw. Maui put away the hook and told the sun that if he didn't make good on his promise, well, Maui knew the path that he took every day and knew the sun's weakness, a nominal bit of moisture on the rope. The sun swore that he would take the long way through the sky every day, and with a few hours of variation, he did. And the earth had the day that we experience now. The servant didn't really stand a chance. He heard Maui far off, and seconds later, because he was Maui, the demigod was right behind him. Maui tackled the servant, wrenched the fire from his hands, and tossed it into the ocean. The last light of the village had gone out. See? Now you have to tell me, Maui said breathlessly. The servant stood and brushed himself off. Fine, he would tell Maui where they got the fire. There was, once again, an old woman living in the forest, and she was, once again, Maui's grandma. She lived on the opposite side of the island from his grandma who now needed all of her food pre-chewed. They wanted to keep Maui away from her because she's temperamental, and he's Maui. And since they needed fire to survive, and she could incinerate anything and everything around her, they couldn't afford to get on her bad side. Luckily for everyone, she was also a doting grandma. Not give up your jaw doting, but she was happy to share fire with her grandson. 
She even gave him a way to make fire for himself. The fire came from her fingernails. So when Maui asked her for it, she just plucked off a fingernail and handed it to him. She demonstrated how to use it and told him to go share it with his people to be the hero of men. On his way back, Maui looked down at the fingernail and flicked it into the ocean. He waited for about an hour and returned to the grandma that could still talk to him and said that, oops, he lost the fingernail. The grandma looked at the young man before her. Okay, she said. Here's another one. Just, you know, try to be more careful with it. I only have a limited number of nails, and the future of the human race pretty much depends on their ability to make fire. So, keep track of it. Maui nodded his head assuringly. Even though the grandma had ended up better than expected, the grandson was still Maui. And Maui was still a trickster which means his motivations are muddled at best and contradictory at worst. He returned yet another hour later, saying that, Aw shucks, you lost that one too. Ostensibly, one story states that Mao was just curious about where she would get fire if she ran out of fingernails. As soon as she ran out of fingernails, she started plucking toenails off until she was down to her last little toe. As she bent down to get that one, she looked up at Maui. You're tricking me, right? She asked. So, yes, but, Maui said, but he was cut off by a wall of flame coming his way from the last of the toenails Grandma had plucked. In an instant, Maui transformed into a hawk and beat his wings against the wind. He climbed and climbed through the forest with the flames right on his tail. As he shot through the leaves and into the sky, the fire singed the feathers on his back. And that's why hawks have some brown feathers today. The fire snaked through the sky, following and thwarting Maui. The demigod could see the fire about to get him, and as it started to hem him in, he stopped beating his wings and dropped. As he did, he turned into a fish. He plopped down into the ocean and knew he was safe. Fire can't do anything to water, except boil it. Holding her toenail in the air, Grandma directed all the heat to the bay, where, in a matter of minutes, the water began to bubble. Demigod or no, no one can stay in a boiling bath for long. Maui flopped onto the beach and gasped out a few words, calling on the god of the rain and the god of sleet, still more of his ancestors, for help. In a very literal deus ex machina, the gods came to the rescue before Maui was turned into a fish fillet right there on the beach. As the forest smoked, Maui could see his grandma sneering and breaking apart the toenail, hiding it in one tree, then another. Maui Fish smiled. He had done it. The power to make fire belonged to everyone, not just the gods. Maui heard the cheers of his village when he returned. But as he got closer, he noticed that they weren't cheers exactly. More shouts of rage. He had gone to get them fire, and he got them fire all right. He burned down half the island. What was wrong with him? He ignored them as he went and picked up some dry sticks from the ground and got a log the village still shouting in rage that he had doomed them to a cold, dark, raw fish-eating life. He began to rub the sticks together. The shouting grew quieter and quieter as the smoke began to rise from the log. Maui blew on it, grabbed some dry bits, and a fire sparked to life. He held it aloft. Now anyone, god or human, could make fire from wood. You know, it's nice 
decides to get out here. Just us, the original four Maui brothers. Hanging out, fishing, staying away from that showboating top-knot Maui. We needed this, guys, Maui One said. They blinked. And who was sitting in the back of the boat? That showboating top-knot Maui. Oh, come on, the brothers yelled in unison. You followed us? No, that will be weird, Maui said. I heard you talking last night, so I turned into a worm and slept in the boat. Last time you guys forgot about me, and I had a fly out. I missed almost half a day out here. Yes, forgot you, Maui too said. Anyway, are we going to fish, or are we going to fish? Maui yelled, and blasted the sails with a wind so strong that, in a matter of seconds, their home island was a speck on the horizon. The other brothers kind of began to despair the long trip back, but whatever, they were far out here. They got their hooks out, and oh, Maui didn't have a hook on him? Ah, oh, bummer. He could always fly back and get a fish hook. It was only extremely far away, right? Oh. Oh, Maui did have a fish hook. The one he had made from Grandma's jaw. This was definitely going to be the fun and comfortable fishing excursion they had hoped for. They all dropped their hooks, and four out of the five Maui brothers pulled up a sizable fish, over and over again. They did this for most of the day, while our Maui stood pulling and straining. It got to be late afternoon, and the four younger brothers rolled their eyes. They told Maui to just, okay, the hook was obviously too big. He can ease up with a standing and straining. They all knew he was faking it, and wait, why is the boat stuck on rocks? Maui let out a groan and fell back, exhausted. He had caught his fish. Also, his fish was an island. I win, Maui said. Maui, it wasn't a competition, just a fun day of fishing, Maui once said. Then he looked out on the island. But, yeah, yeah, you win. As night fell, the brothers sailed back to their home island, and Maui bounded off the boat to go recruit worshippers and travelers to go explore the island he had pulled from the sea. In Hawaiian mythology, those islands were the Hawaiian Islands. And Maui, the legendary trickster, didn't do all the work, but sat back, asking his brothers to row while he pulled the massive fish. The Hawaiian island named Maui isn't technically named after Maui. It's named after a guy who was named after Maui. Anyway, Maui bounded off the boat and stopped dead in his tracks after what he saw. It was a woman, a goddess, standing there on the beach, in an instant, Maui was in love, and she looked on the young man and smiled. Hina had arrived on their island. Hina is a Polynesian goddess who also represents a lot of different things from different cultures. Hina is alternatively Maui's mother, elder sister, lover, wife, or killer. We're going to jump tracks next time and talk about Hina from Tahitian folklore, the woman Maui comes to love. In this one, she's not his sister or mom, though, just so that's clear. Maui falls in love with a beautiful goddess, but learns that, unfortunately, she's already married to an evil giant eel. The next Maui episode won't be next week. As much research as Maui has taken, I have to start almost all over again with Hina. Next week, we're going halfway across the world, and telling the story of Thorstein Manchinmite, a legendary Viking. It's from the same collection as Arrow Odd, and it includes, among other things, a game of greasy sealhead hot potato. I want to say thanks to Connor Chakra, 
Little Lauren Wu, Levy the Potato, Arcade Steve, Cooley Hooley, Leela J. Fry, Sir Lobo, Evan Aki, Ragnar 46, Tangent C, Dreamfire, Prigorak, Gomi Postal, Big Flower, Vistace, Ray the Don, and Carl P. For the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. It's great to hear from you, and I really appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is the best place, and you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of uranium ore on Amazon, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that probably won't give you superpowers, turn your lizard into Godzilla, or open up a gateway to the Upside Down, or whatever you're hoping uranium ore off of Amazon will do for you. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Cagrino from Northwest India. The Cagrino is a small yellow hedgehog. But that term is really relative. Is it small compared to, say, Fenrir or Hydra? Of course, everything is. But in hedgehog terms, which are really the most applicable, it's really big. It's a perfect square, which is weird in and of itself, it being a foot and a half long and a foot and a half wide. It has two reportedly very different hobbies. The first is stealing horses, which we'll talk about in a bit. And the second is urinating on people and animals, causing, quote, great emotional and physical distress. When it comes to the horse stealing part, they, like many mythological creatures, just like to go out joyriding at night. And if you go to the barn in the morning to find your horse sick, exhausted, and covered in sweat, well, you can probably be pretty assured that a mean little square hedgehog climbed atop its back, rode it too hard, and possibly peed on it as well. All in all, be very nice to the horse. It just had a very bad night. There are ways to keep the cagrino away from you and your horses. The first is to tie your horse to a stake, smear the stake in garlic juice, hammer it to the ground, and surround it by red thread laid in the shape of a cross. I really hope that one works for you, because the alternate solution is going to take the better part of a weekend to do. First, you get to play horse barber and cut a bit of your horse's hair, which isn't difficult. Then you'll get some meal, also not too hard. And the next step is to catch a bat, drain it of its blood, and then combine the blood, hair, and meal in a mixing bowl, salt to taste, and then somehow manage to take that mixture and bake bread with it. While that is cooling, throw out your bread machine after filling it up with bat blood and horse hair. Then you take the horse bat blood bread and don't actually eat it. Please don't eat it. Instead, just rub it on the horse's hoof. Just one will do. That, apparently, is enough to do the job of keeping the odd, yellow square of a hedgehog away from your horses. Though, really, if a small creature was stopping by every night to exhaust and possibly defile my horses with its urine, I'd probably just sell the horses and find a new mode of transportation, as opposed to having to open up a large-scale, commercial horse-bat-blood-bread bakery. That's it for this time. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this time. On a quest for epic gear, housewares, or collectibles, Loot Crate has it. Or, if you want to get fancy, get a bigger box with even bigger loot with Loot Crate DX. Hurry, the offer expires November 19th at 9pm Pacific. Be the envy of your friends and get your 100% exclusive crates at LootCrate.com slash 
LEGENDS, and enter my code, LEGENDS, to save $3 off of any new subscription. And remember, November's Loot Crate theme is Unite 2.0. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. (laughs) 